Hello and welcome back to Real Grit, the Cowboy Podcast. I'm your host again, Tristan Blunner. I'm joined with my fellow host Andy Foster and Kamen Davison for our follow-up to um, how the cattle got to the colonies, or AKA the Americas. Hey, how's so how are you guys doing? Yeah, good, good, good. Hey, yeah. doing great. So, ready for part two of our history lesson? Absolutely. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Is there, is there a test like at the, the end? Of, uh, there is. I hope you like the Ooh. smell of uh, chalk dust and, uh, you know, number two pencils. Exactly. <laughs> Takes you back to your, you know, your, your schooling days, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, hopefully you keep this moving along interesting. So, so last time we mostly focused on the Spaniards' path of cattle, which is kind of, in my opinion, the most important because that's where all the we think of the west and the, the cattle industry is mostly in the the, the southwest part of the u.s um, but there's some honorable mentions that we didn't talk about of some other countries that would be we'd be remiss if we didn't you know give them some credit to bringing they, cattle to they America. might they might get angry at us and you know they might write angry letters and nobody wants the french mad at you <laughs> Or the Swedish or the Dutch. I don't know. Actually, to be honest, none of these guys are really that frightening. Maybe the English. <laughs> <laughs> so, the French, they were kind of first made landfall um, and, and were setting up settlements among the uh, along the uh, St. Lawrence, which for being a Western boy, I, I don't really know this. I mean, Cameron, you might know this a little better about where St. Lawrence is kind of starts in Lake Ont- Ontario. Mm-hmm. And then... Uh, kind of goes connects the great lakes to the north atlantic so it's on the eastern side northeast side mm-hmm. um yeah it's a it's a major um, shipping lane for sure it gets uh basically the, the you know rest of the world into the great lake system yeah okay so it's pretty pretty large pretty deep they can handle big ships yeah exactly when i was there um you know on the st lawrence there'd be massive um container ships basically i'm, I'm not as you know, I'm not a seaman, so I'd imagine it's not as big as the ocean-going vessels, but there's large vessels um, using shipping lanes, and all the bridges were very tall to accommodate those ships. So it's a very important um, economic shipping lane, essentially, to, you know, Detroit, St. Louis, um, Cincinnati, and maybe not Cincinnati, Cleveland. Oh, I'm not okay. sure exactly, but, yeah, it gets all the, the major cities on the Great Lakes. Gotcha. Well, yeah, the Great Lakes themselves are so huge. There's so much, you know, like ports and stuff on there too. Um, but yeah, there. The, so the French, the French explorer that was known at the time, uh, kind of maritime explorer that was sailing, was Jacques uh, Cartier. I, I, know you say, I don't know how you say it in French. It's like it looks like Cartier, but it's like Cartier probably. Jacques Cartier. Um, Jacques Cartier. Cartier. Exactly. There you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there you go. And uh, he was the the first European to describe the the Gulf of St. Lawrence. So that's kind of where the the French started settling. And he had with him uh, cattle when he came in 1541, along with goats, hogs, and other beasts. And then there was a follow-up, Sir Humphrey Gilbert, which I think he was an Englishman. He basically landed in... No, it doesn't, unless he was, you know, like French on his mother's side or something. <laughs> <laughs> and then in a, like a, a few years later, a few decades later, in August of 1583, um, 
he showed up and he found it was funny because it wasn't just the French that had actually brought cattle there. Um, there was a Portuguese native that he ran into in one of the islands that basically said, oh, yeah, we've had cattle for over 40 years <laughs> and we've had cattle and swine. He's like, oh, OK, there's already been been cattle here. Um, so it wasn't a lot of record, but the, the, the Portuguese get credit as well for having um, animals on some of the islands there. And some of the the Portuguese actually claimed that they'd been there when the when the when the cattle had been brought over forty years before, um, and they there was a there was a story about there was a wrecked ship that crashed on one of the islands, and then later on some Spanish showed up and they're like, oh, there's a bunch of cattle here, so we'll we'll put some we'll put some immigrants here and we'll just make this a colony, and I guess they kind of like killed off all the cattle eating them for the and they uh they then kind of like had to um abandon the island and 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 left later on but anyway yeah i mean i think that was um <laughs> based on the research in, in newfoundland or newfoundland i guess i'm not sure exactly how you say that it's uh in canada i believe now <clears throat> and uh yeah i mean it's you know very cold up there and so i'd imagine cattle were a huge source of of not just milk, which I think we'll get into later, not just milk and butter, but also, you know, I think, you know, growing up in a in a dairy country, once a, a cow is no longer producing milk, it becomes, well, it becomes beef, you know, and then in hide and, and tallow and all those things that can be used. So I'd imagine that was probably a huge thing that he saw there was like, you know, and again, I think we're, you know, we're talking about this throughout this episode, but that various... Um, cultures use cattle for various different reasons. You know, not just, I think, the Spain, you know, the Spaniards use it mostly for hides, but, you know, these Portuguese, like, in the research, we didn't see a lot in um, what exactly it was being used for, but I can only imagine being so far north that the hides were extremely valuable to an extent because they had the whole beaver, the beaver trade and, you know, the mink mm-hmm. and all that kind beaver of stuff up there. The trade was very big mm-hmm. in the east. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd imagine that the cattle were mostly, uh, you know, milk producers and, and mostly food producers. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, then you got the uh, the Swedish in 1640 showed up. And then speaking of like other uses, they brought cattle and in implements of husbandry and meaning they also used them for farming as well. They used them to pull plows and other stuff, um, not just, you know, for, for eating, but actually for, for agriculture. They would use them to, to help the beasts of burden and such. Yeah, like pull the um, pull the the plows and things like that. Yeah, exactly. They, had, they were a food source, but also a source of you know labor, essentially. Yeah. Yep. And they they kind of settled on the Delaware River. Um, they had a settlement, but then it was destroyed by the Indians. So later on, they imported some the Swedish because um, they really didn't have a very big kind of. Um, big colony or big influence in the early Americas. Um, they did, but they did get some more cattle from new Amsterdam, like the Dutch and they were kind of breeding and raising cattle, mostly then the Delaware counties. So they were, they, but they still made a big impact. The influence of Swedish cattle, um, was felt for many years. Their, 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 their breeding stock actually, um, still was a big part of like was now Pennsylvania. Um, they they were highly valued the the cattle that they got from the Delaware counties. So. Yeah, and again that goes back to what I previously said. I'm curious, you know, like the the more northern cattle in Newfoundland or Canada, you know, it's very cold um, up there. As I would, you know, spending four years of my life up on the Canadian border, it's very freezing. 
Um, what? It's not right? tempered up there? It's, it's <laughs> insane. As we just, you know, the great blizzard of Buffalo just hit, you know, a couple couple weeks ago or yeah. last week or whatever. And so I'd imagine that these cattle from Sweden, just a guess, were more hardy than those from Portugal because, you know, Sweden is in the north, right? So they've probably been bred for years and years and years to be more adverse to the colder weather, maybe more long-haired. Um, so they're probably easier to use. I'd imagine that was a huge influence. And what we now have is, I'm not sure exactly the breed, but, you know, driving through Pennsylvania or Delaware or whatever, you have massive cattle farms and also um, the Amish as well. You know, they have these cattle probably almost the same exactly as they did in the 1640s as we're talking about now. I think that's interesting. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, interesting way to think of it is like, I'd be curious if the same breed they brought over is still the same breed now. Um, just you know, kind of food for thought. Yeah, they'll probably keep using them unless they come up with the electric cow, at which point they'll have to stop using it, the robo-cow. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's called the tractor. <laughs> the tractor. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, basically. Well, I think they use tractors. I don't know. I, I have family that go back east in, like, Ohio that dealt a lot with the Amish and loved, like, their their culture and stuff but the only thing yeah the only thing i knew about like newfoundland is like animal wise is labradors came from there and they're designed to be water dogs cold other than the funny thing is the only lab purebred labrador we had growing up um she hated water (laughs) (laughs) the second the water touched her belly she'd go out and if the water touched her belly she was done she's like nope and she'd leave (laughs) dog dog, you are a disappointment to your ancestors You were exactly. bred for, you had one job. <laughs> yeah, my, my Labrador is very much about water. She loves it. Yeah. yeah. Good. She She's a... she's A, a true lab. <laughs> true Labrador. <Yeah. laughs> so um, next we have the Dutch, which are my people. Uh, my family is um, Dutch. Actually, the story is my, I don't know, great, 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 great however far back grandfather is actually an illegal... <laughs> stowaway from holland he uh he was when he was a teenager he stowed away on a, a ship coming from holland and he got caught and i think he got caught like two, at least two times and the third time made it through he, he snuck on and got through and and uh, then his sister came later which they found her right away but they're like oh she's cool she can stay she actually was really popular like the she helped the you know crew it was like a passenger ship and she kind of worked on the ship and um made her way over as well so that's supposedly how my dad's side of the family got here so so the the Dutch were, um, while well, the the English were busy colonizing Virginia and Massachusetts, which we'll get to in a second, and the Spanish were down south, kind of in Florida and Santa Fe. The Dutch were very busy over in what's basically New York now. In 1609, they established a trading post in present-day Albany, and then you all know of the 1621 settlement of Manhattan, which later became you know part of New York City. Mm-hmm. It, they bought it from the, the Indians that thought it was worthless and then decided later, actually, you know what? You guys have made something of this. We kind of <laughs> like it back because, you know, you don't own it. And it's like, no, you sold it. And the Indians didn't quite understand how ownership worked because they, they didn't really have that in their culture. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's so. New York City. It's the, the epitome of a city, essentially, from the beginning of time. Well, not time, but yeah, I mean, time... Be- <laughs> Time began in 1776, so from the beginning of time. All right, that's, that's, that was the, that was the creation of all. <laughs> exactly. So the uh, the the Dutch basically um, were there for like four years, and then they started to import cattle. Um, but in they actually called they called it New Netherlands because everyone's got to call it, like, you know it's New Mexico. New, you know they got to rename it after their motherland or kind of where they're from. Um, 
New Netherlands had a had a uh, uh, there was like a journal that was kept and it said in November of 1625 a ship arrived and after it unloaded the passengers quote the cattle carried thither were removed upwards to a convenient place abounding with grass and pasture only two animals died on the passage this grave gave great satisfaction to the freighter who had managed the transportation so neatly <laughs> they were very proud of themselves they only <laughs> two had died yeah <laughs> different times yeah and then we get to the English and they the good old English had a had a, a you guys don't know the, the main area main reason why they came to America initially gold. wasn't wasn't for yeah gold mm-hmm. wasn't for cattle wasn't for colonization they came for the the yellow stuff and uh, or, which actually the Dutch did it, as well is it gold stuff you know <laughs> you well, true okay yeah be specific <laughs> <laughs> um, but they basically kind of like the, the whole, you know, California gold rush and all that, where they thought like every single hill had gold in it, you know, it's like the new, the new world, it's gold everywhere. You can trip over nuggets in the street and, you know, they realized it wasn't as plentiful and easy to get as they thought. So they basically realized, oh, well we can use this to, I mean, it's still rich, productive land. So let's, let's expand our empires. So let's build a, let's build a country here, make ourselves more powerful against our, our enemies and other nations. And so, uh, the English founded their colony at 1607 in Jamestown, which probably everyone that's had a history lesson is familiar with, um, which is now considered part of Virginia. And by 1609, the colony had, you know, poultry, swine, sheep, and a few horses, but cattle were notably absent. And so it wasn't until in uh, May 10th of 1611, uh, Captain John Smith wrote that cattle were first brought over from England. And they, they actually built a cow stable. And then at that time, they had a Governor Dale. And he actually, so, so important were the cattle that they actually had a uh, martial code that he enforced that said, no man shall dare or to kill or destroy any bull, cow, calf, mare, horse, colt, goat, swine, cock, hen, chicken, dog, turkey, or any tame cattle or poultry of what condition soever. So they were, it was very, they were very important to them because um, they didn't want to eat them all up. They wanted to, you know, grow the herd so they actually could be useful. Um, yeah, I, th- I think that's, that's kind of born out of necessity, right? Because we've talked about, again, going back to the Spanish who use cattle as mostly for their hides because in the warmer climates, you have other sources of food, you know, chicken and, and those things. But um, as you said, you know, anybody who has a history lesson really knows that Jamestown was a tough time. I mean, the winters yeah. hit and <laughs> and well. that, that brings to the point that like when necessity hit, sometimes you use things like cattle who were in my research were mostly used for milk. Like beef wasn't a huge thing. If you look at the medieval times, you know, the, the lords and stuff, they weren't eating beef. They were eating uh, venison and, um, yeah, uh, the, the English specifically. Yeah, yeah. Like venison and, you know, uh, poultry was a big thing. So cows were almost seen, I dare say as dirty, which we can see in other cultures still is seen as dirty, you know, the Indian culture. For instance, well, is it because they're dirty? They're holy. They, they, they yeah, like, I mean, re- but you, them, you wonder where that comes from, right? Like, why? Yeah. Why is it seen as holy? I mean, you could almost say the same with like, you know. But then you have like the Hebrew culture where it's considered very clean meat. Yeah, you know, you know but like actually, like pork, specifically, you know, it's, it's interesting dirty. the difference. So you wonder yeah. if like, you know, with the English in Jamestown colony, like 
hey, we need to eat this these cows because we're going to starve. <laughs> yeah, and that actually, um, I didn't I didn't make a note, you know, like like make reference in here, but there there was um, a situation where um, after Governor Dale, there was another governor who basically things went bad he fled and then they, the whole the whole laws broke down to where they were just basically wiped out all the cows eating them yeah i mean <laughs> because exactly. the martial law broke down <laughs> and so they uh, they weren't listening anymore but it was interesting to read um so uh, the the value of the cow in the colony was um 15 pounds sterling because it caught co- and then it cost 12 or 10 to 12 pounds to ship one from england to virginia um, which is only two pounds less than it costs to bring over a person. So it actually was almost as expensive to bring over a cow's person, which makes sense. I mean, the amount of feed they would need to eat, um, it would be costly. In fact, I'm surprised the cow wasn't more more expensive than a person. But I guess the cow didn't talk back or whine <laughs> or mutiny. <laughs> well, they might complain so, but it's... <laughs> the cattle are restless. I think they're mutinying. So... Yeah, I mean that—that's that, uh, interesting. Um, yeah, I mean I, I've never heard of that that law you talked about, the the Dell law or whatever you want to call it, the Marshall Code enforced by Governor Dell. Um, but I think it goes to show the importance of cattle in the American culture. From not even just you know we're, we're talking about cowboys, that's what this podcast is all about. But from the beginning of our our nation, how important cattle. And husbandry are not I mean not even just cattle, just livestock, right? Like, yeah, they're um, they're hand in hand with the. Uh, I mean, that's what it took to make a colony. It wasn't just you know the uh, the fruits of the land. Um, they you know they helped with that. Um, but yeah, you needed you needed animals for. I mean, like we talked about tallow mm-hmm. for lamps, exactly. so you could see yeah. <laughs> at night. Well, it was very important. Yeah, and you know, in 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 the notes we see here that um, uh, you know. They came here for gold, and so land wasn't their their main source of income. But when they did get land, they turned it into tobacco and cotton, which became a cash crop. So, land for use by cows was not a thing, really. That was not in their minds. But I think that this is the beginning of the mind, the thought process that maybe there is, um, you know, good use of cattle with large tracts of land, which we didn't know at the time until Lewis and Clark really, um, you know, of you have these large tracts of land. Why not? proliferated with beef or cattle which creates this massive amounts of beef and again it i would be you know it's hard to find out this stuff in in the documents we have but like how up were they for eating beef i mean bread is the so you know what i mean like bread is the yeah bread is the bread's the the standard for a lot of the yeah but i mean you, you, you you talk about 15 pounds sterling to bring uh, a human to the new world, 10 to 12 pounds mm-hmm. for a cow. Like you want that cow to last as long as you want. You're not just going to slaughter and <laughs> yeah. eat it. No, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you want to make sure meal. you got plenty of them before you can do that. <laughs> exactly. It yeah. is. Well, and that's, and that's where it, it was um, interesting. I was looking at the cultural value of, of cattle. And so based on the culture and most of it had to do with their, um, these people, when they came to the, the different people groups, when they came to America, they, their previous culture and occupations that they had back in their homeland played a large role in how they used 
the cattle. So like in, um, or what they use for money. So like in Virginia, like you were mentioning came in, uh, tobacco was used for money. It was tobacco was considered very valuable to like the English. And then in, um, new England, you could also pay off your debt with cattle, but then the Dutch, cause they were very dairy minded. They would not, they would rather, um, they would rather not give up their cows. Like they said, like giving up the cow was like surrendering ownership of a mine from which gold is taken. They'd rather keep the cows and then pay their rentals with butter. So they were, they'd rather keep the the cow and to be producing milk and butter. Um, that was their kind of currency, what was valuable to them. But then you had the Spanish and things, you know, like you said, the the climate was much more temperate down there in the like Florida and, and New Mexico and such. So things were, were, were so good for the cattle that they were just so numerous that the, the Spanish would just make sport of slaughtering them they they had almost no monetary value except for the hides and then the and then like um they they their stories of when the uh, the english and um, other european ex, um, groups would come passing through and they would be entertained by the the governors of the leaders of the the spanish colonies they would always have a big feast and afterwards they would have some kind of entertainment usually to do with um like a lot of times like hunting cows or slaughtering which you know you still see in spain today you see like the running of the bulls you see like the 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 matadors and like the the killing of the bulls it's still very much part of their culture but yeah they, they had so many thousand heads of beef that it didn't it, did, it was a drop in the bucket i think it almost was like they were um in a way kind of like a, not a nuisance but kind of like you know like that like down in texas they have all those those uh those hogs that they just like they're slaughtering with machine guns from helicopters and they can't still can't keep the population down. They just were, were, you know, the population was exploding down there. So, yeah. And again, that goes to, you know, <clears throat> I mean, the difference is in the use of cattle is because, you know, we just previously talked about the Dutch and Pennsylvania and more Northern where you have your massive dairy farms. And I'm not entirely sure, but based on what I do know, the north is where the dairies are, right? Wisconsin, Michigan, New York, Idaho. That's where your dairy farms are. That's where your milk comes from. It's in, what's the difference? It's cold. The south is where your beef comes from. Texas, mostly, right? And then you got Mexican Argentina, beef. South America. Exactly. Even, yeah. yeah. So I think that's that's a huge part. And we can just take a look at that and say that that's probably a huge part of, in those days, I mean, you're, again, it comes back to, they didn't have the luxury of just, you know, ordering something on Amazon or going to the grocery store, right? Like, you know, the, the North Northern culture is probably very much based on the fact that a cattle had much more use in terms of its milk. Whereas in the South, there was so much land. It was so temperate that they had these huge herds of cattle. So they just slaughter them and eat them. You know, I mean, you look at even cuisine, right? Like Southwest cuisine, cuisine, well, cuisine, 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 exactly. You know, just food. How about food? So in the north, food is very dairy-based, whereas in the south, food is very beef-based. And I think that's an interesting way of looking mm -hmm. at... On beef and chicken, yeah, yeah. exactly. You know, even Mexican food is very um, beef-based. I mean, look at the fajitas and the tacos and, you know... I mean, of course, we all have hamburgers, which is a very, in my opinion, American thing. But, you know, what's a hamburger without cheese, so... Well, and then I think hamburger a lot of times came from like with the, you know, how do you deal with a, with a, with a dairy cow that's old, you grind it up into little pieces so it cooks <laughs> exactly. and, and yeah. it's tender. Yeah. So that's kind of the, the, the roundup of all the different other kind of routes that the, the cow took to get to, to America. So 
after that, we go, we turn back to the Spanish. Cause like I said, they play a real important role in our, in more modern, um, origins of the cowboy. And in, we're jumping forward to, uh, 1773 and some Spanish explorers named Juan Batista de Anza and Gaspar de Portola. And they brought 200 of the Spanish longhorn cattle to the California missions or what would be California later, um, to supply them with food, tallow, hides, and there were 21 Spanish missions built in California as military and religious stations um, when they were settling the coast, which, I mean, we can see to this day, you got like San Francisco mission, you got San Antonio, or not San Antonio, San, um, sort of blank on that. San Diego, like San, Fe, Santa, you know, San Diego, San Francisco. So like, you know, the Mexi- <laughs> New Mexico, New California, like that whole region, there's all the sands are like the saints, and they, based off, a lot of those were founded in, off of missions that were put there. And the interesting thing is how, how tightly the religious, like padres and religious leaders were tied with the military expansion. So they would, they would expand militarily and then also then religiously um, kind of bring in the, the, the locals and try to, to um, sometimes forcibly convert them into, into their um, usually like kind of Catholicism type um, religion. So, and so the cattle, the cattle really enjoyed the, the warm grassy hills in California. And then like, um, like we were talking about, like San Diego was one of the big trading hubs. And um, one of the ships, the Pilgrim, which anyone that's you know read the book two years before the mast, the, the ship, the Pilgrim actually did a lot of trading there out of San Diego. Um, but the, uh, a lot of the, the priests that would come over and um, become padres or in America were sons of Spanish nobles. And it was part of their heritage. It was very much part of their culture that they would be trained from birth to be superb horsemen. Horse were very integral to the culture. Horses were integral to the culture of um, Spain. And so these guys grew up on horses. They were very um, well-versed in it. And they would use the horse, the horses to, you know, herd the cattle like we do nowadays. Problem was there wasn't very many of them. They, the, the Padres were kind of outnumbered by the amount of cattle that were, you know, these huge herds that were growing. So they had to start teaching their Native American or Indian converts how to ride horses. So, yeah, we also see like the, the Padres are selecting their, these, these Indians to kind of train them in, in, in horsemen because, yeah, you're, like you're saying, you, you can't take care of it all. You need, you need to have the, the labor force and, and, uh, but in, in the Spanish colonial law, going back to conquistadors, they forbade the teaching of horse riding to Indians since horses were mm-hmm. considered tools of war. It's um, like it's like giving machine guns to the guys you just conquered. Right, right. You know, and, and so, but you're, you're, it's your step up on them. <laughs> and, and, and it is. I mean, because because I mean that that does give you a, a, a good distinct edge um, in many ways. I mean when the horse is introduced to North America, I mean, it, it revolutionizes the native American way of life before that they, before horses are introduced. I mean, you were a, you were a, typically a nomadic people on foot and yeah, couldn't you go could, very far. And you can't go very far. And with a horse, suddenly you can, you have a wider range for hunting, but also you can, it's easier to find other tribes or other people to go to war against. And, and you can, you can swoop in real fast and, you can get away real fast and, and it does kind of revolutionize that. So, and I wonder how much hunting of like Buffalo happened before. Can you imagine hunting Buffalo on foot with a spear? Yeah. yeah or, or, <laughs> it's like suicide or, or trying to chase something. Cause you also have like, um, in some places you can find 
still uh, remnants of buffalo jumps where they would push them off cliffs and just they would die down there. They could, but I mean, still you have to, you kind of have to get the, you kind of got to get that, that whole, you know, herd stampede of buffalo to get moving in a direction and on foot, they, whew, you know, at least you had everybody kind of set up in a long line along the way, which probably is kind of a way they did it. Um, but with a horse that makes it better, but I mean, it, it, it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's it, 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 it gave superiority. And, and a lot of times when you're dealing with these, these instances of, of people who are kind of conquering your land or something like that, they don't, they don't want to, they obviously don't want to lose their, their holdings there. And so yeah. they'll go and, and intentionally kind of hold things the, back. Yeah. The, the Indian tribes that adopted the horse the most quickly became the most dominant very quickly. Cause they would, yeah. you know, one horseman was equal to a lot of other warriors. Um, cause they're like you said, their mobility, it gave them quite an advantage. Yeah. Yeah. But we see here, I mean, the Padres also hunting. Yeah. Cause yeah. you could roam yeah. farther looking for, for yeah. stuff. I mean, it, it, it just, it, 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 it did change their culture and stuff as well because of that. Um, but you see the Padres here were, they were so powerful in, in, in that, in that area that they, they kind of, <laughs> they made their own laws. You know, you kind of, you got, you kind of have to <laughs> go by ignore. The, the law of necessity <laughs> as well. And so they disregarded those in the interest of expediency, which happens all the time with things even today. You know, there's all sorts of laws that are still in the books for things. No, no one pays attention to those because in the end they laws for thine, but not for mine right. or something like that. <laughs> Usually it just comes out that laws are just applicable if people want to uphold them a lot of ways and here they saw okay we have more of a necessity to actually uh prosper and grow and we'll just just do our own thing so so uh but with them they 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 uh one important part of what was being taught to these these uh these indian cowboys really um was how to snare a steer by throwing a loop of braided rawhide rope which was known in spain as La Rieta, or as we Americanize it, Lariette. And so, mm-hmm. and that's, yeah. you know, that's still a Stealing big... those Spanish words, and yeah. we could, we, again, we couldn't say them, so we made them easy for us to say. <laughs> and even that's, you know, it's for debate, is it Lariat or Lariette, or mm-hmm. however you want to say yeah. I say Lariat myself. Yep. <laughs> oh. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. You've, you've got some Wyoming, Wyoming <laughs> roots, too. So, that's uh, true, uh, yeah. in Idaho, we say Lariat. <laughs> Lariate. Uh, but, I mean, it's... it's we, we and that's that's really important uh, and we and we and we see this a little bit later on in our notes here too that these the, the Spanish influence on on the cowboy trade and even to this day is very very heavily a part of that um, it's it really the, the roots of that are there you know another thing we talk about is the uh, the the chaperas or as we call them chaps um, or chaps um, is was a a uh, a legging that would go, uh, leather legging, or sometimes they were actually made out of out of uh, uh, wool. There's even some that had like woolen ones as well that were protecting. Yeah, especially it. in the more northern part. Yeah, I remember keep, reading yeah, that was a warm, lot of the northern places. Their main, their main goal is just to keep your lace from getting you know cut to pieces by the brush and stuff. It was a it was a way to because as you're on your horse there and cutting through the brush trying to catch a catch a a rogue a rogue. Uh, calf somewhere you weren't gonna you know scratch your scratch your legs or tear up your tear up your your pants yeah, i don't know if you guys way. have been through uh like in california i remember we would we'd gather some uh chaparral Sh- 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 it's chaparral which is actually it's a really amazing herb for a lot of different things it's it's actually very useful herb but it's the bushes are nasty they're mm-hmm. like a bunch of like spiky 
points coming out of them. And so, uh, yeah, you would not want your legs rubbing up against that all day. No. Yeah. I mean, even, you know, just sagebrush or, I mean, you know, we used to ride four wheelers and motorcycles up to the, the South Hills. I mean, some of those places have some nasty brush and those, there's thorns, like, I don't even know what the, the plant's called, but those thorns just cut you to pieces, and I can only imagine in those days, you know, I mean, you don't want to get cut because that could be an infection, hence gangrene, and then you're dead. So it's like, yeah, shaps were... Happy thoughts, <laughs> happy thoughts. Shaps were a huge part of, I mean, staying alive, honestly, you know. Everything's out of necessity in those days, right? Like, it wasn't to look cool. I mean, maybe, but... Most of you to stay alive. <laughs> that, that would kind of come along with it, you know. I mean, if you got if you got to have something to 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 be a necessity as a tool, well, you might as well make it look good too. Exactly. And, yeah. And, and 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 that's been throughout all history. You see, any sort of thing is that usually kind of showed status or, or and things like that is is how things were 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 decorated, um, and or how how they were displayed. Um, they became they kind of maybe would show your 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 status as well. If you have a of a, a really a really elaborate kit you know elaborate tack for your horse and and elaborate chaps and and hand tools on your boots and stuff well it's going to show okay you got some money you got some land you got your you're you must be an important person while some brush popper that's some saddle tramp that's right along and he's kind of you know a little more a little more threadbare and stuff he's got he's got the necessities but maybe it's not the most the most uh elaborate as well but i want to I want to know if the first guy that showed up with chaps, everyone laughed at him. They're like, what are you wearing? That looks ridiculous. <laughs> like, you won't be laughing later, guys. Yeah. <laughs> you, got, you got pants without the back on them? What the heck? Yeah. yeah, and then later they're like, okay, we all want a pair. <laughs> exactly. But, I mean, again, it goes back to if they're made from leather, you know, you got to get it from a cow, right? So yeah. to yeah. Uh, well, I mean, that's what you had, herd, they had available to them. You had them. to herd the cows. You had to have a cow, <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> dude, well, herd them comfortably. It's the circle anyways. of life. Exactly. I mean, even your saddles. You know, we're talking about saddles here. Like, oh yeah. Um, you know, nice saddles are made from leather, and again, you know, the original saddles were wooden, right? Like most, I think the yeah. Romans were the first to use yeah, saddles, so comfortable, and they were wooden saddles. And then, I mean, <laughs> I think the frames of most saddles I've been on are wood, but the leather is what you know really sets it apart. The leather work and the quality of the leather, and so you know, really, the saddle itself is. Um, by necessity made from cattle, but it's also by necessity used to herd cattle, um, which I think is really interesting. Yeah, and with that, I mean, you know, and I think to, to round it out, in 1821, as we all know, Mexico won its independence from Spain. Um, and what happened was is they took all this land that they had in California and gave it to essentially their aristocracy, if you will, because, you know, Mexico at that time was still running under a generally European Spanish sort of system. And uh, they had land grants, as we would call them, and award them to um, their aristocracy, which became Mexican landowners. And they were called ranchos, which we, you know, of course, get the word ranch from. Came ranches. Yep. yep. Yeah. Also, you're like your start of cattle barons mm-hmm. and such. Too. So again, we can see that, you know, the cowboy, even though is we see him as a quintessentially american uh persona if you will the beginnings really yeah okay we have cow from like we just talked about dutch french you know sweden but really what we think of as a cowboy which is large tracts of land being held by beef creating cattle ran by buckaroos or cowboys or whatever you want to say is very much 
a South American by way of Spain. Of yeah. The, 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 Spanish cowboys were called vaqueros, which from the Spanish word for vaca meaning cow. And then I don't know quite how this this converted, but later that became buckaroo. I don't know how vaqueros became buckaroo, yeah, like how get, that translated. Almost but. like you know, I guess if you hear somebody say vaquero, you know, almost could hear baby buckaroo. Yeah, vaquero, I guess if vaquero, you're really buckaroo. drunk sitting around the fire one night, <laughs> yeah. exactly. a little too much of that moonshine, you'll be like, oh, buckaroo. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what? <laughs> what do you say? What do you say, crazy guy? Exactly. I don't understand. I, I'll, I'll just say buckaroo. That sounds better. Yeah. And I mean, I think <laughs> yeah. the importance cannot be understated of um, the cattle. We've we've kind of talked about it a bit, but like the Spanish cattle was used mostly for its leather and tallow. Um, you know, we see here large amounts of hides were being sent to the Northeast, generally like Boston, New York, things like that, turn into shoes and other leather goods. So, you know, before this time, having a leather good was a huge deal, right? That's what, what your lords and your aristocracy had. Like leather was not a, yeah, cause it, a common thing. But then we started having... It was very durable. Exactly. It was very valuable. Cause, yeah. You yeah. know, I mean, people would, you know, you bought one pair of shoes and that was what you had, right? And then... But then it became leather became more and more prominent because of the this influence of the Spanish in the in the southeast or sorry southwest, and now you have leather shoes and leather goods. And now I mean if we can I don't think we as modern day citizens can even imagine a world without a massive amount of leather for everything. I mean if you just think about what's leather. I mean our cars have leather. Our shoes are generally leather wallets well and even now though that leathers become more of a, a valuable thing because like you have the you have the fake leathers the yeah, the, the polymers the pleathers, plastics yeah. <laughs> but but the actual real yeah the pleathers the real leathers are are again kind of um a, a product of more of the the middle upper class kind exactly. of like goods yeah. so i mean yeah i think that that's really interesting to bring it all together that like you know in the north the north of america we see dairy cow and still to this day, you don't have a lot of cowboys. You know, it's more farmers, more husbandry. But then you have the large tracts of land, which brings along these large herds, which needs cowboys to herd them, which creates your beef and your leather. And it's, yeah, it's a really interesting way to, like, get to this point, you know, from the 1600s to now. It's interesting, yeah. Yep. Well, now, now we have the cattle officially in the Americas, and so... Um, Next week, we're going to be able to get into some uh, more fun, like, history and stories. I think, Andy, you're, you're in charge for the next episode. Yeah, so what we're going to talk about is you know, where we've kind of gone through the roots here of the cattle industry, how the cattle get here, the, the roots of, of what we would call the cowboy, the, a lot of the words and, and, and customs and, and, and the way they worked. I thought it would be kind of, kind of fun then to switch over to the again the, the stories of the cowboy the the, the legend the, of, the cowboy. The and, of the cowboy and that's kind of what we're, the, we've been doing with this podcast is we're kind of exploring both both sides there you know what's the historical cowboy but also we know so much of what's the legend of the cowboy and how do those things intermingle how do they how do they 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 fit together and where do they kind of diverge and so i thought it'd be good to go to the roots of the western or the frontier story of where cowboy stories maybe got their got their their start where they got their foundation and much like this, where we're not actually dealing a lot with actual cowboys. We're just kind of seeing little glimpses here and there. We're going to see in some of these, these writings, early American writings, 
kind of the same thing. We're not going to per se see a lot about cowboys, but you're going to see little snippets of things here, which would then eventually transform into the story of the Western of cowboys. So um, it'll awesome. be it'll be kind of kind of kind of a fun yeah. a fun historical look at where they come from. Sounds sounds like fun. Looking forward to it. it. Includes literature, which I do love. Uh, we got some books. All the, <laughs> nice. all, all the bookophobes better show up. Exactly. <laughs> nice. All right. So, thank you for listening to our podcast episode. You can visit our website at thepodcowboypodcast.com for episode notes, contact information, and other announcements. And now, if you'd like to help support our podcast with and our crippling coffee addiction, you can visit our <laughs> um, website at buymeacoffee.com forward slash cowboy podcast and you can uh, buy us a coffee we record these or whiskey we record i don't these know i don't judge late at night so you know we need all the help we can get exactly yeah it exactly Twelve seventeen here where i'm at so I'm <laughs> my coffee <laughs> we all nice. have lives outside and of also, podcast lives <laughs> right yep and also if you please rate subscribe like our podcast wherever you listen and then share the podcast with your friends family and other fellow cow punchers while you're sitting around the campfire would be greatly appreciated so thank you all and we'll see you next time back on the rancho we now find panto with his pepita by his side she thinks he's handsome with any ransom to him she's still the blushing bride our gay ranchero our cavalero still tell the world of how they met this gay ranchero this cavalero says he has nothing to regret now to end the story that i once